Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. A few weeks ago, I was in Ho Chi Minh City, and I had the chance to interview my friend Seamus Mack. He presented the case that government is actually a form of compulsory religion, complete with tithing, power animals, and totems. So you'll hear all about that in the interview. Remember to follow the Paradise Paradox on Facebook, YouTube, and Steam it. Let's get into it. And the river looks really nice. Seamus Mack, and he's going to tell us about a certain lens for interpreting history or current events about statism as a religion. Right, so maybe I'll just give you my frame of mind as I came into this um, model, and that is, uh, so I was raised going to church, okay, uh, SDA. I'm thinking a lot of people are not familiar with religions. Okay. Like the okay. way that they are run, the way that they have regional conference centers, a treasurer, you know, a secretary, mm. um, and all the yep. all the trappings that you get in any sort of political system. Yeah. Yeah. You got you got people in charge of different services. Uh, you got people in charge of like helping the needy. You got people in charge of all sorts of things. You know, they they take mm. their they take their payment the same way as a as a proportion of your income. Yes. You know, um, and it's not like you start to see once you know from inside out how a religion works. You look around and uh, instead of imagining, there's two types of organisations that work that way. Mm. Turns out there might only be one. Yes. You yes. Know, like you've got you've got companies, you've got restaurants, you've got uh, all sorts of uh, like taxi services and domestic servants and all sorts of um, services and products that are sold and they're just making an offer and uh, like that's well understood mm. you know even a charity can just like present you the opportunity to give you their money or whatever mm-hmm. but like the religions of old would use a threat obviously of God's disapproval if not mm. hell or excommunication uh, or excommunication yeah, yeah. Um, and the state does the same but not only that any service or good that you buy has a price, and that price is the same for everybody. Yeah. Whereas this, the state and the church, um, they proportion their pricing according to your income. Yeah. And this goes all the way back to like the Hebrews, where you bring a portion of your yields. You know, like if you had pressed a lot of oil, you'd bring some of the oil, or if you, uh, you know, had a had a prized flock, you'd bring some of the flock yeah. as your payment to the to the temple mm. you know, so that whole like pricing structure as well as the same uh, yeah. and as soon as a religion doesn't have a state ordering it not to uh, enforce its own code its own laws if you have a religion that is equal to or superior to the state they will enforce their tithing mm. you know um and they'll they'll associate pains with not paying it. So, yeah, I mean that's that's just as compulsory as taxation in that case. It's the same. It's like if you kind of like the position that what we think of as religions find themselves in today, the ecclesiastical religions, let's say, the, yes. the, the Catholic Church, the Baptist, the Methodist, so on. They find themselves in this in the same sort of situation that like. A charity or a wannabe state would find itself in if it's if it doesn't have a monopoly on law, because they wouldn't be able to force people to comply with their code. They wouldn't be able to force people to fund them. But like the main difference that we see now between religion and state, the main differences are on account of the state not being in a position to enforce their code or, or their their funding and so forth. Mm. More of the actually being a uh, material difference in how they operate. Right. So when it comes to say separation of church and state, that mm. would that was kind of like a split 
between between two factions or something, or it's like a power grab from this state religion from the from the church. That is that is kind of how I see it. So this went down at the Council of Westphalia in the 1650s, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, myself included, didn't realize or don't realize how new the concept of a nation state really is. Yes. You know, even like. Uh, it's, it's in its infancy. So basically, in the 1650s, when the, the papal states were kind of standing down, and they, they had uh, what was called the Peace of Westphalia, this get-together of the leaders of Europe. And basically, like, in my view, the priestly robes that were left, like, lying limp on the floor at that meeting, where they basically got together and said, right, no more um, ecclesiastical religions can enforce themselves on people, only civil religions. Okay. Um, the priestly robes that were left lying on the floor at the Peace of Westphalia are what we know of as religion today. You know, the, the Catholic Church, the Protestants that came out of that, um, and so on. They don't have the force of law uh, behind them. They don't have compulsion behind them anymore. Um, not because it went away. You know, like, compulsion is the heart of the beast. You know, the compulsion is what made Catholicism as a compulsory religion bad okay uh, compelling people to pay their tithes compelling people to recant compelling people to at least keep up appearances of being catholic um that is the heart of the beast the heart of the beast is binding people to compulsory law and it just changed its garb you know it it took off its priestly robes and wrapped itself in a flag Hmm. and carried on its merry way Hmm. you know so um I don't see the separation of churches and state that happened at the Peace of Westphalia as much more than a, a linguistics game. If you want to Google uh, this model, uh, what you'll be looking for is civil religion. Uh, there's especially one sociologist, Robert Bueller, B-E-U-L-A-H, I believe, um, and he's written uh, like an essay called The American Civil Religion. There's one video on YouTube based on, based on his model. And uh, that's pretty much the most uh, thorough, clear-headed interpretation of this model that I've seen. And basically the idea is that, um, is there a civil religion that's uh, operating alongside and above what we think of as religions? So when people think of religion, what jumps to the front of the mind is usually something to do with a deity mm-hmm. or theism of some sort. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just not factual at all. You get all sorts of non-theistic religions. Okay. You get non-theistic like Buddhism. in Buddhism, Jainism, yeah. well, two, two of the three strands of Buddhism. Mm. Um, Jainism, um, Taoism, um, mm. you even get non-theistic uh, Quakers. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so and there's even uh, atheistic Christianity. Right, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's even you know any serious student of Confucianism, you know, models mm-hmm. that as a religion. You mm-hmm. know, so so the the word religion literally it comes from the Latin religae, um, which means to bind back. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same term in most other cultures and languages is used for religion and law because it essentially means the same thing. Right. Um, in Arabic, that term's din, D-I-N, well, that's how it's interpreted, and uh, it's used interchangeably, whether you're talking about religion or law. Um, there was a, a comparative, uh, what's, the, what's the word, like a comparative uh, theologian, uh, I cannot place his name right now, but he basically says, if you ask the People, if you set, spoke to the people of um, ancient Mesopotamia or ancient, like, pharaohic Egypt yes. or the Aztecs, yes. and you told them that they live under a compulsory religion, uh, they wouldn't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, to them, right. to them it was just law. Right, right. You know? so, Torah as well means law, I believe. Torah is, yeah. yeah, Torah is absolutely. I mean, you look at the Mosaic law and you say, right, what were they doing there? Mm. Um, well, they were coming up with a code yes. with standards for dress and for diet Mm. they're basically trying to apply a homogenous law to a diverse group of people Mm. religion is a social engineering scheme okay you know Um, we've got this nasty habit of looking back at things or looking at things that we don't believe in like 
oh, we'll look back at, let's say, the, the belief in Zeus. And we'll say, what was that? Oh, no, we can write it off. We can stop thinking about it. That was superstition. That was mythology. Right, myth. yeah. yeah. And it's just a nice little catch-all. But if you actually yeah. like, stand firm in your materialist convictions and look at it and ask again, what was Zeus? Okay. What was people's experience of Zeus? Yeah. Well, Zeus was a, a shared imagination, at least. We can agree on that. Everyone agreed what his gender was, for example. <laughs> you know, he had a name, he had attributes, he had character traits, he yeah. had representatives. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. If you were a kid growing up in ancient Greece, you'd, you'd grow up for Athena, you'd grow up maybe talking about Zeus as if he exists, you know, casually, like he can do stuff or whatever, you know, mm. he'd be completely reified into this, this, um, this agent from mm. your perspective. And uh, then, you know, then you can actually start studying it and saying, okay, all right, so maybe let's look at uh, some other entity and ask what it is objectively. Let's look at Mexico. Okay. What is yeah. Mexico? What's a Mexico? <laughs> you know, it's it's a shared imagination. Right. Uh, yeah, there's no clear point where it begins or ends. It's a, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a geographical area that's associated with it. Yeah. Uh, just like there's a power animal that's associated with it, and there's right. a Which name that's associated with eagle. it, and a gender that's associated with e it. Eagles tend to pop up a lot from the, the power animals. They do. And yeah. that's understandable. I think the thing with eagles is like they've got uh, sort of a top down view of uh, the world and that they you know that's kind of like a, another reason why people use owls a lot in secret societies and symbolism is because they can see in the dark hmm. you know that's that's an indication of like wisdom okay, you can see brother. things other people can't <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> always watching never blinking <laughs> about symbolisms it really has yeah. to start with looking at totemic yeah. deities because that's where it's about the furthest back I think we can reasonably go because we recently encountered and still encounter totemic tribes. You know, so for example, you mean li literal ones like in the Amazon? Oh yeah, no, mean, like even yeah. in Zambia you have the the Bantu people, for example, and uh, their totems are as they typically are, plant and animal. They've got the uh, crocodile, and uh, I believe it's the ash tree, and. Uh, because when they came across the territory that they decided to inhabit, they found a crocodile ash trees, and they started um, identifying with these uh, with these totemic objects. Okay, so a totemic object is typically a plant or an animal. Um, doesn't have to be exclusive, but what it really is is a representation of the people. So this is quite easy to illustrate. If you if you're in a totemic tribe. And uh, you wake up in the morning and go for a piss on the totem. Hmm. Yeah. One of your tribesmen peeks out of his tent and sees you pissing on the totem. Yeah. He's going to be very, very offended. And yes. personally, and he's going to feel like everyone else in the tribe should be personally offended. Yes. Why? Because you're insulting a crocodile or an eagle or a wolf? It's what it represents. It's what it represents. It's a shared hallucination. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, it represents... Who does it really represent? When they praise the totem, when they meditate on its characteristics, hmm. you know, like, hmm, the, the wolf is really good at hunting in packs, you know, it's a, right. it's a very crafty animal, it's resourceful, whatever. Yeah. Like, they're really applying these characteristics to themselves. So, like, the people of the wolf will start identifying with the attributes of the wolf, and they'll identify the wolf with the symbol of the tribe. So essentially, the the totem is a representation of the unity of the group. That's why your tribesmate's pissed off when he sees you pissing on the totem, not because you're desecrating a wolf or an eagle, but because you're desecrating the unity of the group. Okay, and then you fast forward all the way now to modern totemic deities, also known as countries, nation states, and what are they? They're these shared imaginations that are assigned a gender and a power animal and a name and a set of rules to follow and uh, a bunch of representatives to interpret, to interpret what, the, what, the, what the totemic deity wants. You know, I think it was, it was really quite inevitable and also quite brave that in these old totemic uh, tribes you invariably got some brave soul disappearing into the wilderness with some, usually with some trippy shit for a few days. Yeah. Uh, and he'd come back with stories of visions. Right. You know, just when the tribe thinks he's dead, he shows up out of nowhere and says, 
I've spoken to the fucking Toto right. guys. So this is like, yeah, well, the, the example that comes to mind is with the, the Huiradica or the Huichol people in Mexico. The, the story was they, they were going through a famine, and they, so they didn't have, they basically had no food, and they didn't know what to eat. So they sent two brave young men off into the desert to try to look for something. And after a few days without food or water, they saw this blue deer popping off into the distance and eating peyote. So after that, they st- or the whole tribe started consuming peyote, and now it's a, a kind of sacrament mm. for, the, for the tribe, and they, some of them eat it every day. So, Amazing. And the blue deer is you know, prominent in their artwork when, right. they, when they make bracelets and things. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. It's all. It's so that might have been a real experience. Uh, I, I would say, but it's also even if it's just completely made up, you cannot uh, deny the uh, the appeal that it must have to a certain type of personality. That okay. Hmm. Let's see. So everyone's trying to appease this totem, which maybe he doesn't really believe in. Or maybe he does. Maybe that's why he gets the vision. He goes off and he's tripping balls on his OD or peyote or whatever. And yeah. because that he's grown up with this image of this deity in his mind, and you know the wolf is looking after him in his sleep and all these things, uh, that that's what he sees when he hallucinates. Possibly, it's also possible that he comes back with a a fat tail. You know, basically claiming that he's spoken to the deity as a ploy to gain control over his fellow tribesmen and okay. to not have to, you know go hunting anymore or do the difficult work because now as soon as as soon as your tribesmen believe that the deity has spoken to you yes. that you've got its ear and it's got yours uh, then they look to you to interpret what it wants right. yeah. and then your time is obviously better spent in commune with the deity than doing the mundane tasks of living like everyone else so it's a position of power that you get when you claim to represent the deity and you get people to believe you. It's extremely risky, you know, if they don't believe you, they'll probably kill you in a, in a totemic tribe. Sure. As I say, it's a, you're a heretic. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so those people are forgotten, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ones that stay are prophets. And, yeah, the victors, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, you see the same the same sort of thing today, where like you can you can claim to you can get a bunch of cohorts together and form a party and claim to represent what America really wants, for yeah. example, or like what the what the what the deity intends for you or expects of you, and so on. And you see a lot of these religious overtones, especially in the in the early founding of uh, America, um, where they have things like manifest destiny. Yeah. And just like look at the Wikipedia page for Manifest Destiny and you'll see like paintings of this feminine deity flying above the settlers and driving yes. back the beasts and the savages yeah. and then the pilgrims coming along with the light of day. <laughs> you know, it's all very religious, very, well, the, the overtones are there. Yes. And, uh, you know, in God we trust on the note and that and not to mention like the temple architecture of all the government buildings and the courthouses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, all of these things confused me when I was leaving religion mm-hmm. and uh, noticed that it seemed like all of our dear leaders are very, very, very much into some sort of mysticism. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, uh, there's shitloads of symbology, there's shitloads of members of secret societies and allegedly occult knowledge and so on. And none of that made sense to me if we really live in a godless world. You'd expect the most, let's say, um, street smart, world weary people among us to be the least religious if that were the case, but yet they seem they seem to be steeped in this shit. You know, you, you can't scratch politics with a fingernail without finding like the dark occult underneath the surface. You know, right. talk to Passio about this. And uh, or just try it yourself, you know, go visit any government building around and have a look at the symbolism, have a look at, you know, the lions guarding the entrance in Zambia they have at the, at the, at the Supreme Court. And uh, it all starts to make a little more sense when you actually model them as running a compulsory religion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you mentioned to me the examples of in Washington, D.C., they have the, the Oval Office, which is like hmm. the divine feminine, and then yep. you have the Washington Monument. 
down the road, which is the divine masculine. Exactly. Like, just like in, uh, like in India or something, like yeah. the lingam and the yoni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's primeval as fuck. But I mean, that's the symbolism between, uh, that's symbolism behind a lot of uh, mystic uh, religions. It's basically, you know, the, the sex divide is ancient. Hmm. And uh, even if you look at the Washington Monument from the top, it's got it's it's positioned within two interlocking circles. And when two circles interlock, that area in the middle is called the Vesca Pisces. Right. Obviously yeah, represents like the fish wife. Yeah, it's like the yoni, really. And the uh, the, right. the, the the Washington Monument's rising up out of that. Hmm. You know. And uh, yeah, the symbolism's just it's it's so in the your circles face. don't represent the tastes. They could. It would look like <laughs> cock and balls from okay. from on high, I'm sure. <laughs> from the mighty eagle's perspective. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's no shortage of, of occultic symbolism. And uh, I think in the in the case of like uh, DC, well it's obviously the District of Columbia. You know, the statue that's on the roof of the Oval Office is a statue of Columbia. Right. You know, the how tall is it? Sixty something feet more of that big idol in New York Bay? Um, of the Libertas, right? Yeah, Liber- the Liber- one they call the Statue of Liberty. It's a- yeah, because it's Libertas, the, the the Roman goddess, which is you know you can trace that back. It's the same personality um, as Colombia. Uh, Col- Colombia is uh, the poetic name for the Americas. So what? right, yeah. So the so idea, that- the idea being that America really is the deity Colombia. What's the relationship between kings and gods? Well, the first kings were gods. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important to remember because it, it kind of breaks the mold of, hey, these are two completely separate things. What are, what are they doing over now? You know, never the two shall meet. Um, basically, to remember distinctly that politics and religion, first of all, were the same thing. Um, still are understood as essentially the same thing in other cultures. Yes. And that basically this um, the separation of church and state or of, of king and God is actually an upgrade. Okay. okay. It's an upgrade to, to the religious uh, structure because back when uh, kings were gods, shit would get awkward every time one of them Died. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like there are stories about how the North Koreans were freaking out when the Kim Senior died, yeah. and like some weren't sure if the sun was going to rise next day. I don't know how true that is, but the thing is, <laughs> there's a lot of upheaval. Okay, when you think that God's dead. Hmm. So, the model of making the king instead of the king being a god, which was the case. Okay, an example like with Nimrod. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So, so Nimrod, Nimrod's father, Suma? Tammuz. Huh? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so Tammuz was the, the king mm. and the god, mm. and his wife Semiramis was his queen. And when he died, suddenly things got weird. And in my opinion, she realized, "Oh crap! You know, there goes all my power, my comfortable lifestyle, right. and so on." So right. she probably got one of the high priests to high priests to fuck her immediately. Anyway, she became pregnant fairly quickly and pulled out the high priest alongside her and announced, hey guys, you know, calm down. God's not dead. He's been reborn. He's been reborn. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pregnant with him and it's it's him again. So this is what was needed. The, 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 the Trinity story, the story of the, of the king, the father being reborn as the son, uh, was required to create a continuity. Okay. Um, in this awkward story of the king is God, mm. God is the king. So it's actually an upgrade. When the king becomes merely a representation or representative of God, mm. then when the king dies, you can just find find the God some more representatives or another representative. You know. Okay. In, in, so the in, divine right of kings was was to make it easier. Right. It, it makes it way moments. easier than the divine king. Yeah, because when you have a divine king, you've got a mortality problem. Mm-hmm. When you have a divine right of kings, all you need is for the high priest to anoint king. the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's an upgrade. It makes it makes the whole structure uh, more resilient. Mm. Okay, like uh, Nasim Taleb would be proud of that <laughs> development, where suddenly it wasn't all <laughs> hinging on the life of a king. 
yeah. uh, the death of a king would, would, uh, wouldn't really be a problem. Thank you, Thank you so much. Mm. I'd say ching, but then we'd all go to hell. Conch is a non-alcoholic drink. <laughs> yeah, okay, so basically it, 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 you can see how that um, it eases the continuity. If the king is just a representative, a representative of the deity, the king can die and just be replaced. You know, a good example of this would be when the Russian government, half the Russian government, disappeared into the Ural uh, in a burning wreckage of, of plane debris. Nobody for a second thought that Mother Russia right. was mortally wounded. Right. You know, Mother Russia, power animal, yeah. bear, yeah. gender, female. Mm. You know, no one thought that Mother Russia was mortally wounded. She just got new reps. Yeah, simple as that. Problem solved. You know, so you've got the structure where you have a an overarching deity, it's assigned a power animal and gender. It's casually spoken about as if it has desires and characteristics and acts. Right. You know? Uncle Sam is pain. Yeah. It, is yeah. He? Well, yeah. Not literally. Yeah. <laughs> Russia's doing this, and Mexico doesn't like that. Yeah. Or you know the most the, uh, the most insidious one for us is of course we did this. <laughs> right. We, right. Mexico right. Uh, had a war with them, the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that just shows the totemic nature of these deities because, yeah. again, the, the totem was never a representative of, for example, the bear mm. or the wolf or the eagle, whatever it was. It was a representative of we the people. Yeah. Okay? Doesn't make it any less of a deity. And there's a good argument I've seen that even, even the Abrahamic God and so forth was a representation of the people. Uh-huh. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, Elohim was supposed to be a fertility god hmm. well Elohim's plural isn't it oh that's true I believe. but I mean I guess in most cases fertility requires well, that's, plural. that's right <laughs> yeah well that's right <laughs> well that makes sense uh, with what you're saying because that means it's not I am it's we are so uh-huh. it just fits, fits right in with that tribal theory right it's quite easy to show etymologically that religion simply means law Okay, we've been through like there are no, um, there are non-theistic religions, a plenty. There's Buddhism. The word religion does not imply theism. That's something to concentrate on until you get it. Yeah. Okay, until when you hear the word religion, you no longer conjure up images of gods and spirits. Right. Okay, religion to bind back in the Latin. Uh, in other cultures and languages, it's it's the same word, uh, typically. Yeah, so well, like. I remember when you t- you told me about that, and I looked it up, and it's like re- re- religion to b- to bind and legal has if, if you go back far enough legal the term yes it can have a similar root depending on, hmm. on which source you look at hmm. the, the law binds and so does religion. I would expect that. So then, in that in that regard, so if religion is a law, normal religion, voluntary religion. There's a law that you bind yourself to, okay? So, for example, when my mother switched religions, uh, she bound herself to a new law, okay? No one compelled her to. There might have been threats of fire and brimstone and God knows what else in there. But, but she wasn't threatened but if religion, physically if, in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's also like some people would say that yes. the hell is a... Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's put that in that bucket, as David Robinson would say. <laughs> <laughs> if religion is a law that you bind yourself to, yeah. compulsory religion is a law that other people forcibly bind you to. Right. Now, which of these is a nation-state's law? Is it a law that you bind yourself to, or is it one that you forcibly bound that you are forcibly bound to? And if it's yeah. the latter, then basically statism is compulsory religion. Right. Etymologically, that's not hard to well. It can be hard because of our indoctrination, but yeah. uh, it like rationally, well, it's not hard to wrap your head around. Look, if you go to Malaysia, you know the, the law depends on your religion. If, if, you, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Muslim by birth, not necessarily by choice. It's not right. like you've you know, come of age and said, well, I, you know, I joined this mosque. Mm. But from birth, you're born as a Muslim, mm. and the law depends on that. You will be punished accordingly if mm. you... Drink out of the bowl or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's quite common for, for countries to treat people differently based on their religion, and that's because yeah. they've bound themselves to another law. Mm. Uh, but is that like the, the, the heart of the matter that um, religion means law, compulsory religion therefore is law that is uh, that you are involuntarily compelled to obey, mm. then it's kind of beyond the pale of questioning that governments operate compulsory religions, you know, mm. under those definitions. Okay, because so, they impose laws on us, we don't get the choice of, of, way of uh, governments in general, we don't. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, so then once that's out the way, you know, you could like pack it in and call it a day and I would, I would be quite happy to. Um, there's just the pesky, pesky little thing I couldn't help noticing and that is I, I can't find an important difference between deities and countries. Hmm. Okay, in terms of them both being collective imaginations that are assigned power animals and genders and being used to represent the unity of a people and being used by representatives to impose a law and a tithe on those people. So that's when you get into the, the model of basically you know, you wake up in the fucking dark ages, you walk outside and you're surrounded by a bunch of superstitious people that believe in deities and believe that their representatives have the, the divine right to compel their, their laws on you. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> if you've seen the inner workings of any modern religion, you'll, you'll, you'll see the, 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 see, I don't even want to call them analogs, you'll see the, the identical mirroring top to bottom you know, from their, them taking consensus votes when it comes to uh, doing things like accepting a new member or uh, raising funds for a new cause or whatever, um, or, or electing a board uh, to, to maybe run the regional conference office or things like that, to electing a treasurer, um, to deciding all sorts of things that kind of shape the organization over time. I would actually say that uh, violation of consent is the, the root definition of the term evil. Um, because if you take actions that can be Fine, let's say, an easy example, you walk into a room, you see two people having sex, okay? The okay. mechanics of it are identical. What's the one thing that could make it rape? A lack of consent. Lack of consent, yeah. all right? You see someone, oh, no, I'm going to take this mic and run off with it. <laughs> it might be a gift, you know? My mate Kurtje gave me a, a nice mic. Or it might be theft, you know? What's the one ingredient that could make it different? Consent. Now, now we're talking about two. You know, we're talking about theft and rape. Is there any reason why we should expect the two things to have the same core definition? Right now, you you see someone injecting someone in the arm while they're sleeping, and right. the, the heart monitor goes flat, and the person dies. Yeah, might be assisted death. It might be euthanasia. Yes, uh, might be murder. Might be murder. Yeah. What's the one ingredient? Same. So, so now, just through like deduction, you take all the other ingredients of the situation, of all the mechanics involved and whatever involved in sex or in taking something or in killing somebody, and you find the same ice, the same lone ingredient makes it evil or good. What we can actually come to, what the conclusion we can draw from that is that the core definition, the root definition of the term evil, as humans mean it, is violation of consent. So, then if you take, I don't know, let's say, what's the difference between government and an opt-in service provider? Consent. <laughs> <laughs> so when we say government is evil, we're not talking euphemisms, we're not being cute. We're saying the core definition of both terms are a perfect match. 
here's something interesting. What do, what do you know about Pepe as a totem? Have you heard this story? Or this, so uh, you know, this, this little idea? This whole Pepe thing came out maybe about 10 months or a year after after the penny dropped for me on um, on politics as religion. Hmm. So it was super interesting hmm. and it was, it was, it was uh, completely unsurprising because when you when you see that there's this technology for synchronizing the actions of individuals, hmm. let's put it that way. Okay. And this technology is applied to all sorts of organizations that are intended to synchronize the actions of individuals from churches, um, you know, uh, to states, uh, to companies. And the recipe goes something like this. It's all totemic tribe recipe. You raise a totem, you come up with a story around it, a sort of like a characteristics maybe, you know, like Zappo yeah. shoes, we're super funky, we're super good to our employees, okay. Okay. so on. You imbue that totem with as much energy as you can and you come up with a code around it, which is essentially in a lot of simple cases, it's just the operating procedures for your employees. Okay. And, and uh, with McDonald's. Right. Yeah. You have, you have codes of conduct. It, you have golden arches and Ronald McDonald is Jesus Christ and is <laughs> the devil. And really? <laughs> I haven't actually got into that. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> but the raw technology of it, whether you're starting a religion, a state, or a company, is you raise a totem, you rally people around it, you articulate a code of conduct yeah. or code or a law or rules if you prefer there's a casual term rules and uh, you use that to synchronize the actions of individuals mm -hmm. okay um, it's obviously stood the test of time and it's been tweaked and enhanced you know like with uh, separating the totem from the leader and so on it's gone through various upgrades and iterations but essentially that's a technology for synchronizing the actions of individuals so you start to see it everywhere now, there's a big difference, obviously, between a company, which is like doing a very similar thing. You're erecting a totem, you're picking a logo, I don't know, maybe it's a cloud or something, and uh, you synchronize actions of individuals around that. There's a big difference between a company, which you're essentially putting an offer on the table, people buy into it or don't, um, employees join it or leave, and so on. And an organization like that is imposing itself on people mm -hmm. where you're not voluntarily subscribing to its services it's coercing you and so on and that's the difference between I say a good organization and a bad organization you know it's it's the or it's one one important it's compulsion it's, it's the use yeah. of force it's a base, very basic distinction back to Pepe <laughs> <laughs> so you know you if, for the people who haven't seen this this theory there's a right. little a website talking about Chaos magic. One key component of chaos magic is, is Seagull magic or, or the magic of symbolism, I suppose. So when you get your symbol out in the world in, in certain places and, and people recognize it, that gives power to your symbol. So just like with McDonald's Golden Arches, that, that logo has, has a certain power to it. And there's, a, there's obviously a big question whether it's just part of psychology or whether it's something with external reality like some kind of spiritual thing but the point is it's it's true these you know symbols do have power so yeah oh sorry i would just say just don't forget your train of thought but i'll just say two things first of all no matter how um materialistic you are you have to admit it has the power of um recognition, uh, recognition mm. and then recognition invokes Certain feelings, Emotions, behaviors, yes, and so on. Yeah. yeah. So, the, in a very real sense, it can drive behavior. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The mere sight of a symbol. Yeah, yeah. So, before the, the, there was a bunch of people on 4chan, and you know they branch off from 4chan and go on various social media sites and everything, and they were posting these these pictures of Pepe, the, the frog, the breast frog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a character from a from. Oh, yeah, Keck, Keck. So Keck, Keck is a thing uh, which come, came from, I think, from World of Warcraft because the way that Koreans write, write 
instead of writing lol, they write kek. Yeah. Uh, so it's when they're the laughing, they put kkk or they put kek. And uh, it so happens that kek is also the name of an Egyptian deity or like an Egyptian sim- symbol. Yeah. I've heard it's, that it's not it's it's not exactly a god. It's more like a, an archetype, but it depends. Yeah, it's an archetype of um, the the border between order and chaos. Mm, I think yes. uh, I think yes. um, Peterson says that it's um, as an amphibian and it's a water and a land dweller. Mm. It kind of has a foot in each world. Yeah, it has a foot in the world of um, you know the water and of, of earth, mm-hmm. of chaos and of order, and because yes. it, it can be or, or is alleged to be uh, in some cases hermaphroditic yes. it's also like got a foot in both sexes right and that right. Is, that's why it's a symbol of a chaotic kind of uh, force yes yes and the, the strange thing was uh, you know they were promoting Pepe as this, as a sort of hate speech figure it would be redrawn with swastikas on it's his face it's talks about boys muscles <laughs> sorry oh, okay <laughs> Okay, so the thing was, Hillary Clinton came out and made this speech talking about, oh, we can't allow Pepe, we can't allow these symbols of hate speech, and it all seemed very bizarre, because why would she be so animated about something, you know, just a cartoon character which is being shared (laughs) on the internet? But when you put it in the context of this symbolism and talking about bringing bringing something to reality using the power of symbols or sigils, then it starts to make sense why Hillary would be very angry about it. You should know how the shit works, being a witch herself. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm sure she has some understanding of it. So that puts the whole thing into context. The other thing which which kind of clicked to me the other day, like you were saying, this this, uh, character who comes from chaos... If you look at the internet, I think most people would agree the most chaotic place on the internet is 4chan. 4chan, yeah. Because it's an anonymous image board. Right. It doesn't necessarily need to be one person or one thing. You never know exactly if if someone, if one person is speaking to you or multiple people are. Right. So that would be a chaotic place. So if, if some kind of entity from another world wanted to manifest into <laughs> this one and especially a, a being of chaos like some kind of trickster god yeah. that would be the place the Pepe phenomenon was really interesting to me because if it happened maybe a couple of years ago I would have brushed it off as insignificant hmm. but to me the meaning of magic okay yeah. like it's something I've paid a little bit of attention to and just tried to kind of wrap my head around what people mean by it because, you know, I know magic isn't bending that fork. I know magic isn't causing that menu to fly across the room. Um, you know, that's that's Hollywood. Okay. okay. So what have people been studying all these years in the mystery schools? What have people actually been researching and figuring out how to do Right. It's okay. A, a kind of psychology, like practical psychology, manipulative psychology. Very, yeah, that's one way of putting it. So that's exactly the, the conclusion that I came to, essentially. And that is that when you change the shape of reality in someone else's mind, in mm-hmm. another agent's mind, mm. that's magic. Mm. Okay. Like, for example, a really good uh, magician doing a card trick. He'll do his trick, which is mechanically working in a way that you can't figure out. But yes. because you can't figure it out, he's created this reality in your head mm-hmm. where X leads to Y. You know, whereas, right. and you don't see how it can happen. Yes. But it works. He's 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 worked his magic. Yes. If he leaves you thinking, fuck, he did X and it led to Y. <laughs> you know, for example. So. Like if you if you see magic or define magic as the ability to manipulate reality for other people, mm. um, so let me just take this one little step further and say one powerful form of magic is that of causing people to uh, fall for the fallacy of reification. That's yes. the misplaced concreteness. 
That's where you take an idea and you treat it like an object. Yes. And then you talk about it interacting with the real world of objects and stuff. So basically taking a concept, you're misdiagnosing it as an object or you're mislabeling it as an object. Mm -hmm. And then everything that follows from there is obviously pure superstition because it was always a concept. United States of America. Right. They're all concepts. Is Uncle Sam an object? No, no, easy one. Therefore, right. he's a concept. Yeah, and Do, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance, the flag and the nation for which it stands. Well, the flag, the flag is beyond just a piece of cloth. It's it's somehow more than that. And it's the totem. Yeah. And people get very angry if you piss on it. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, 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 the nation for which it stands is, mm-hmm. is apparently more than a landmass. It's mm-hmm. some kind of, some kind of magical some kind of spiritual place yeah. promised land or something like that <laughs> well I, I uh, summarize like my idea of totemic deities is that they represent the unity of a group mm. and that unity of a group is an ethereal kind of concept mm-hmm. and fragile and you know it takes maintenance and all of these things yeah. that you see coming up around you know gods and countries and so on so just a few words on magic if magic is the ability to manipulate other people's experience of reality, yeah, um, and especially the ability uh, to cause them to reify something, so you plant a concept in their head, and then you take it to the next level by making them treat that concept as concrete mm-hmm. and as an agent in the world, mm-hmm. you've essentially placed them under a spell wherein they see the world through a different lens it doesn't really exist yes so i think that sort of spell is what we've all been placed under uh through the school system and so on i mean come on history and school what was that you know it was history of states the history of politicians exploits and states and religions uh and essentially in a lot of cases treating them as actors Hmm. you know so completely divorced from the uh, average day-to-day life of, for example, a surf in China in the 1400s, you know, like, okay, we may not have much data on that, but like, <laughs> when when I was taught history in school, it was just like a, a story of uh, the exploits of politicians. Yes. Days of our lives for politicians. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about this? Saying, like I mentioned Malaysia before, so in in certain countries, the the religion is the state, or this, the religion is enforced by the state. So in in that case, I'm not sure if a Malaysian would necessarily see the conflict. Some of them would, but some. Well, of them no, wouldn't. like uh, with with especially with a lot of older civilizations and with a lot of non-Western civilizations, uh, there is no conflict, and even in a lot of Western westernized countries let's say like for example Zambia they've adopted Christianity as the state religion mm-hmm. but just because of the way it's structured it turns out that the the president of the country is essentially the acting high priest mm-hmm. you know so and this is not very different at all to what happened with the Church of England and you know in the UK and so on where the, the king would be the head of the church and so forth mm-hmm. um, So what happened in Zambia, for example, was uh, two years ago, they were rolling eight-hour blackouts Hmm. across the country. So because the dam level was going low, it's run off all hydroelectric power. Um, There wasn't much rain, and the state monopoly obviously had squandered and and gone cheap on the turbines. Okay. It was our fault, okay? So it was the citizens' fault. And we we all got this SMS. I had it. I, I lost the phone. I wish I still had it with me. But all the citizenry, uh, with all the major cell phone networks, got an SMS inviting us to a day of prayer and repentance. And this was capitalized, prayer and repentance at the stadium, at Olympic Stadium. Okay. Led by the president. Right. Now, why repentance? So this whole day was so that God would show his favor and restore the reins. Yes. Okay. And incidentally, at this day of prayer and repentance there was a double rainbow around the sun okay and the newspapers running stories like a like, sun dog 
like a full a full circle rainbow. Yeah, yeah. double. Yeah. So two circles around the. Two. Ah, oh, I've okay, seen one before with my own eyes before okay. this, but this is yeah. Okay. And uh, the newspapers ran with it and said this is a sign that God has heard us. Hmm. Yeah, of course, we went another seven months with rolling blackouts. So. <laughs> but that was the story at the time. But you can see in that scenario how the, the president was acting very um, explicitly as kind of the mediator between the people and God. Yes. So it's not always like mutually exclusive. And a lot of the smart states, when there's no need to, or when the country is already deeply religious, they'll assimilate aspects of that religion or even the religion itself into their operation of the state, into their justification for passing laws, into their um, rationalization for, like, you know, the, the good old, like, if God didn't want us in charge, he wouldn't have put us in charge. <laughs> you know, that old chestnut. Yeah. So it's, it's quite explicit in those cases. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a thing where... where where governments always feel the need to suppress other religions or to marginalize them at all. Mm. And in fact, it works against their best interests because um, that would cause uprising in a lot of cases, mm. especially in Malaysia, I'm sure. We, you know, people are quite intensely, intensely religious. Yes, yes. It would cause them to at least question the authority that the political leader comes with as far as his uh, being ordained by their own deities or approved by Mm. Uh, yeah, but it's a powerful matrix um, to 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 basically adopt people's existing framework and then position yourself as their political representatives. Yes, as their ecclesiastical representatives as well. Right, and, it's like pacing and leading. Yeah. yeah. Now that's that's more explicit, and I think where where it's harder to see the state as a religion is in countries like, I don't know, let's say Germany or, uh, or uh, France or the UK where they they try to distance themselves to some degree. UK is a shitty example. They've still got the Church of England. Yeah, well, that's that's a whole thing for me because I, uh, I don't know the whole history of the Church of England, but this is, this is how it's been reported to me. So the king wanted to get a divorce right. and the Pope said... No, that's that's not going to happen. Like you do that, I'll, I'll excommunicate you. Henry VIII, I think it was. Uh, right. Okay. And so Henry said, "Well, I'm just going to start my own church." <laughs> right. So he started the church. Yeah, no, he wanted English. to marry his cousin, I think it was. I see. Yeah. And the Pope said, "Nah, it's a bit weird, mate." And he was like, <laughs> "Fuck you, you weird." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> this is the this is bizarre. Like, it seems to me people who are part of the Church of England and know this story, it's, it almost seems like they're right. consenting to be conned or something, or right. unless they believe that somehow, I don't know, somehow it was, you know, ordained. That's a very good question. Yeah. How do they justify that? Yeah, how do they Is it more that? just a case of like, oh, this shit's way beyond my pay grade? I'm not even going to think about that for too long. I guess <laughs> I can't imagine what else. <laughs> yeah, the king started because he wanted to marry his own cousin, but you know, it's a nice place. <laughs> yeah. I have friends there, so <laughs> I guess I guess that's what you have to do. <laughs> What's the practical side of this like is this just in people's heads they can now leave these things behind they can just say well things <coughs> things aren't quite as they thought they were well I think um, I would like to see a twofold reaction one uh, from the religious people and one from the atheists yeah. first of all if you're an atheist you should be fucking pissed off or uh, at least inquisitive about the fact that you've been led to believe and casually talk about a shared imagination, a deity, with a fucking gender, a power animal, laws, tithes, and representatives. Uh, that's been basically pulling its wool over your eyes about being a religion in the first place. You know, the parallels are, are endless. Because you've been fed this... Uh, this 
story that makes you believe in a collective imagination they call the country that has been assigned power animal and gender and representatives that are imposing their law at gunpoint on you. Um, if you go to court, you still stand in front of a man in a black robe who will still have you killed on the spot if you don't submit to his persecution. Yes. Uh, if you go to court now and you, um, let's say he wants to send you to, to the clinkers for one night, okay? Judge says, one night in prison for Kurt. God forbid. Mm. Um, and you refuse, resolutely refuse, and mm. attempt to defend yourself when you're mm. getting dragged off. You get shot in the head. Right. So and especially be... when we're talking about something that's a victimless crime. So, right. So something like you got caught smoking weed. Oh, well, that's haram. That's a so. sin against the state. Yeah. So now, in this model, it's quite easy to see how victimless crimes are nothing but sins against the state. Um, mm. Cannabis is the new pork. So in the old days, you would uh, maybe be, you know, eating some pork and be, yeah. be spotted doing so, or someone smells the delicious crispy bacon, I'm vegetarian, coming through the window, <laughs> still think it smells delicious, um, and reports you, you haven't harmed anybody except, except the pig, and uh, you get dragged off to a, a bishop, uh, I don't know, wait, let's see, okay, so it's pork, so maybe an imam. Yeah. And he sentences you to some sort of punishment for that mm -hmm. because you've sinned against the religion, the church. Mm -hmm. In exactly the same vein, if you are smoking a joint and someone smells it or an enforcer comes along and smells it, an agent of the state, mm -hmm. they will drag you in front of a man in a black robe for sinning against the state. Mm -hmm. um, he will sentence you to persecution, which is supposed to purge you of your sins, you know, it's not about restoration, and even if it were, there's not even a victim in this case. Right. And if you refuse, he will have you killed. Yes. It is still like that. You know, even in, even in the days where the Catholic Church was imposing a compulsory religion on much of Europe, if you were caught doing something bad, mm. it wasn't a case of you dragged in front of the bishop and burnt at the stake. Okay. You were dragged in front of the bishop and offered a chance to recant. Okay, and only if you refuse to take your, uh, you know, say your Hail Marys or your recantations or basically uh, show fealty to the yes. church, yes. then you were killed. And exactly the same situation is still in place today. Exactly the same thing happens. You get dragged in front of a man in a black robe who dishes out some punishment to you and if you refuse that punishment resolutely and start to successfully defend yourself against it, you will be summarily executed. We're in exactly the same position. And as an atheist, as, a, as someone who is, uh, well, just anyone who doesn't consider themselves religious, that should be extremely offensive, you know, that mm. we haven't actually left the dark ages mm. should be troubling. For a Christian or a religious person of any other sort, the idea that you are essentially serving two masters should be of concern. Hmm. You know, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about um, serving mammon. You know, and if there ever was a religion of man, is it not the faith that we place in our governments, which are made of men? Yes. You know. Um, so, from both perspectives, the perspective of an atheist or, an, let's say, a non-religious person, because religions are not necessarily theistic, and from the perspective of a religious person who assumes that their adopted religion is the highest authority in their life, will just have, a, have another look, you know, see what happens where there's a conflict between your religious law and the state's, right. you know, see which tends to give way, mm. you know. So occasionally they'll give exemptions, like if you're, a, say, a Native American church and you take certain sacraments, they might give they might give an exemption for that. Right. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's a trade-off for them. You know, mm. they won't give exemptions when they don't think that it would uh, cause more trouble. You know, like not to because uh, you know people get pretty upset when you offend directly with their right to exercise their religion, but. On the same token, you can just uh, kind of let them do what they want as long as they don't directly 
challenge any of your standard laws. And, yes. Uh, so if you if you start a religious organization and say, well, it's against our religion to pay taxes because right. you're using those to fund war. Yeah. There might be a problem. Oh, it will be a problem. Well, it depends. Like a lot of religions get away without yeah. that anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. okay, yeah. So if you said that your members couldn't, then you're definitely be butting heads. Yeah. Mm. See how long that lasts. Mm. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, one key way that you can support the Paradise Paradox is to jump onto Steemit, Steemit.com/slash/at-paradise-paradox. When you sign up to Steemit. You can get paid for the content you produce and also for the content that you curate or vote on. So vote on our posts on there and that will help us out a lot. Also remember that I'm coming out with a new channel, Cryptonomics, and I hope you'll jump onto Facebook and give a like on Facebook to Cryptonomics so you can support the new channel as the content starts to come out. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon.